Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14. If you need a Bible that you can open in your lap, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you need it, and you can take it with you. Uh, we'll be happy to buy more Bibles. That's not a problem. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up that app and find our live event and track along with the scriptures, sermon notes, all that kind of thing. Uh, again, my name is Trent. I'm grateful to be here with you today. Uh, we have worked our way through, halfway through the New Testament in 90 days. Who's fired up about that? All right. Yeah. Hey, hell, good, good. Um, you're halfway there, man. So I want to say to you, keep going. Number one, if you've uh, jumped in with us, uh, keep going. I think that's fantastic. Number two, if you haven't jumped in, you think, oh, it's halfway done. No, 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 no. Jump in. Halfway done, man. Halfway done. And the reason I want to continue to encourage this, the reason we're preaching through um, these different texts that we've read throughout the, um, throughout the week, the reason we're approaching it this way, the more, uh, you, you ever noticed this before? Just say yes, if so, or Amen. You can amen if you need to. Um, anybody ever notice this? Like, holidays and stuff. Like the more you eat, the hungrier you are. Anybody notice this before? Yes, yes. The more we eat, the more we have appetite for it. So church family, if you haven't started, start. If you fell behind, keep going. Let's keep plugging away. The more we consume, the more we will have appetite for this. And so, so today um, is one of the sermons where we're going to take um, basically the entire chapter of chapter 14, just short of that. Uh, we're going to draw a thread through it uh, as we've been doing um, two different kinds of sermons, either the, the specific focus or kind of a big theme. This is a big theme, stealing, if you will, a title from uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. with a hat tip to him, um, Profiles in Courage, Acts chapter 14. Here we go. You ready? Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Let's just pause right here because we're jumping into the middle of a story. So we don't even know who the they is. They is Barnabas and Silas, uh, Paul and Barnabas. And um, these two apostles have gone out on a missionary journey. They're a little traveling band. And uh, they are uh, ministering along the way, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, that he has died, that he has um, been buried, and that he is resurrected. He has ascended to the right hand of God, and he now is Lord of all. He is the Jewish Messiah, and he is the Savior of the world. They're preaching this. And they are up into what we would call uh, kind of modern day, uh, um, you know, Greece and Europe. That, that, it's that kind of um, Eastern Europe. This is where we are on the Mediterranean. Uh, that's, that's where we are. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoning their minds against their brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it. They fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycania and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Here's the first profile in courage. First one, you ready? Um, they had courage to speak God's word. They had courage to speak God's word. Now, in our day and age, um, truth, uh, speaking the truth, is its own novel practice. I mean, like, 
There's no spin. There's no, like we just speak the truth as is. This is, uh, I mean, and that's good. Let's be people of the truth who speak the truth. Can we amen that? Okay. This is even like one level above that. This is speaking God's word, which is the truth. And, and there is a, a profound profile here of courage. So back up with me. Let's walk this through. At Iconium, verse 1, they together with the Jewish synagogue, excuse me, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. They had the courage to speak God's word. And listen, and they did so in a way that the Greeks and the Jews believed. They did so, like their, their tone, their way of presenting, the way that they did that actually brought people into the kingdom. There are times when you can speak and it doesn't bring people into the kingdom. It'll get you a TV show, but it won't get people into the kingdom. Oh, nobody said amen to that, huh? We live in a day where provocateurs find themselves on television. But here, man, this is what we're talking about. When we have the courage to speak God's word, we want to speak God's word. Uh, That's the content and the tone of it is such that they spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. We want to be those people. They spoke. They spoke. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they spoke. Here we go. They spoke. And then there was opposition. Keep going. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. They spoke. There was opposition. And then they kept speaking boldly. Verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And an attempt was made both by Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it, fled to Derbe and uh, uh, Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycania. So they spoke, verse 1. There was opposition, verse 2. They kept speaking, verse 3. There were threats. Let's let's kill them. That's 4 and 5. 4, 5, and 6. And then verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. They spoke. Opposition. They spoke threats. They kept preaching anyway. That's a profile in courage because in our day and in our age, people would want to silence us, but we need to have courage to speak the truth and not, not the truth as, as some may define, but we need to have courage to speak God's word. There's two fears I want to identify here. Um, and they're both actually addressed in, in the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus is sending out um, his disciples. But as a pastor, I thought these were particularly um, good uh, to say out loud. There's two fears. The first one is, man, what if, what if I don't know what to say? Anybody have that fear before? Like, uh, I, I, I'm here now. I'm sitting across the table or um, standing in line at Starbucks or on the plane or wherever it may be, standing in my front yard. What if I don't know what to say? Jesus has commissioned in Matthew 10, he's commissioned his disciples and here's part of the commission. Here's what he says in verse 19. When they deliver you over, so he's talking about facing opposition. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Well, okay, Jesus, why not? Don't be anxious uh, for how you are to speak or what you say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So what's Like you fear, hey, I'm not sure I'm going to know what to say in that moment. What's the answer to that, Jesus? Hey, don't be be anxious about this. How you're supposed to say it and what you're supposed to say, it'll be given to you in that moment. You can just trust God to give you what you need to say in that moment right there. We just have to have the courage to be willing to say it. Here's the second fear. Yeah, but what if it costs me something? 
Okay, so I can get over the anxiety of, eh, I'm not sure if I know what to say. Okay, good. Okay, Jesus, you're going to take care of that. What if it costs me something? Like, what, what if it costs me that relationship or a promotion or standing or a neighbor? Or like, what if it costs me something? And in our day, church family, in our day and in our age, it's not going to be more popular to be a Christian and speak God's word. What if it costs us something? Look down. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. What if it cost me? Well, God looks after sparrows, and you're more valuable than sparrows. What does that mean? He's going to look after you, too. Don't, don't fear the one who could hurt you. Just fear, fear the one who sits on the throne of the universe today. Like, be, be allied to the one who is in, really in charge, not just the one who's pretending to be in charge. Why? Because you're more valuable than the sparrows that he promises to watch over. You're more valuable than them. Church family, listen, like, Again, I don't know that it's going to get any easier uh, to be a Christian these days. And so I just want to continue to set out. We have some pretty incredible promises to hold on to. And it may indeed cost us something to speak God's word at times. But listen, uh, Paul, what he said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it's still true today. Like it's just as true today as it was yesterday, as it was in the first century when Paul wrote, and as it will be tomorrow. Uh, for me, Paul says in uh, Philippians 1, 21, for me to live is Christ. Speak God's word. Like, that's part of that. To live is Christ. And if they kill me, I win. To die is gain. Those things are true. And that, that ought to prompt in us the kind of courage. Courage, man, it is inspiring. It is, it is, it is hope-giving to those around us. It is the place, C.S. Lewis said it this way, um, courage is the place where virtue gets tested at its limit. I'm not sure, God, that I've got any more perseverance. Um, and so courage is, is the willingness to take one more step. I'm not sure I've got any more love in me, God, for this person. Courage is at that point of testing, like that little point right there. It's Courage is what happens when you give a, just a little bit more love, just one more drop. I mean, that's courage. That's what we're talking about here. What if it costs me to live as Christ? And today, if we go home to be with Jesus, we win. Speak God's word. Secondly, I'm still over in Matthew. Got to flip back over. Here we go. Look at verse eight. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet he was crippled uh, from birth and had never walked. Here's another profile in courage. Be, be willing c- courage to engage those different than us. In this particular case, verse 8, he was ethnically different. Paul and Barnabas, they are Gentiles. Oh, excuse me, they are Jews. Uh, this guy sitting here from Lystra, he is a Gentile. There was an ethnic diversity there. There was an ethnic difference. He was physically different. This, this poor man right here, crippled from birth, had never walked. Paul and Barnabas walking. And because of his situation versus their situation, there was a socioeconomic difference. He was a poor beggar, unable to walk, unable to work, unable to help himself. Paul and Barnabas were there doing the things uh, that they were doing. 
courage to engage those differently. Can you just take a second, think about that? Ethnic difference, physical difference, socioeconomic difference. One of those is probably harder than another for you. Do you know which one it is? For you. Well, they don't look like me. That's a little thing. Courage to engage. Well, they don't talk like me. That's a thing. Courage to engage. They don't live in my neighborhood. They don't run in my circles. Courage to engage. Why is this important to point out? Because it's at that place right there. Check out what happens. We're going to read more of this in just a second. He listened to Paul speaking, verse 9. Paul looked intently at him, seeing he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright to your feet, and he sprang up. <laughs> I love that. He didn't just like get up. He didn't like, oh, he sprang up. I love that. Um, he sprang up um, and, uh, uh, and, and began walking. Um, it's at that place right there. When we have the courage to engage the difference, it's at that place right there that God may very well do the miracle. Like God may work in a way that you're just like, are you kidding me right now? He may work at that place. When we're willing to engage the different, we're willing to step outside of our comfort zone. When we're willing to take a step and go, this, this is where I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to act around these people. Then right there, God may do the miracle. So this week, uh, sorry, two weeks ago, I went up to a lunch. The Houston Church Planning Network is a group that we've engaged with. They help us plant um, Third Coast Church in Texas City. They're good guys, good folks who are working up there. Went up to, they have a monthly meeting. I went up to the meeting. This meeting is held at a particular um, uh, building there. There's a church there in that building. I walk in, say, hey, to the pastor. We had met once before, so we chit-chatted for just a second. And I say to him, hey, Jeremiah, I don't know if you know this or not, but like from here to Kroger, everybody know where Kroger is? Everybody point to Kroger. Okay, it's just right there. You could walk there, like five minutes, maybe less, if you didn't get run over by traffic on 528, okay? Like, it's right there. From here to Kroger, there's like 50 or 60 Afghan families in that apartment complex. You know what he said? Shut your mouth. I shall not. But he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Our, we, our church family, like our staff this week and our church family, we've been prayer walking this neighborhood asking God how we are supposed to engage. And I said, look, I'm not a prophet, but thus saith the Lord. There's 60 families over there. Y'all need to come on. So at 1 o'clock today, I'm going to load up some stuff, and I'm headed up there, meet with their, um, some of their team and that kind of thing. So he, um, I, he calls over. This is... Uh, the rest of that story. He calls over the associate um, and he's like, hey man, you're not going to believe. And the guy's eyes got real big. He calls over uh, their missions person. She comes over, see her eyes real big. And so I get a text this week and says, hey, listen, you're not going to like, we're going to meet you at one. We're so excited about this. This is very cool. And so, um, we've got two people in our church family who just came off the mission field. Amen. Anybody want to guess where they came from? Yes. Afghanistan. They just so happen to be fluent Pashto. You can clap for that. That'd be fine. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is in that moment right there, what I'm saying, like, if we are willing, and we have been, to engage those who are different than us, we may very well see a miracle. If you are willing to engage those who are different, speak the word of God, yes, and engage those who are different, yes, we may very well see a miracle. Just getting warmed up, people. Verse 9. 
He listened to Paul speaking. Paul, we read this, looking intently at him, seeing he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Third profile in courage, courage to believe God for big things. Believe God for big things. God, this is outside of me. It's outside of my purview. It's outside of my control. It's outside of my stuff. How can I step into this and believe you for something big? Here's a question. I just want you to sit with it. What's the craziest thing you're asking, for, asking God for right now that if somebody knew would make you look foolish? What's the, what's the thing? I mean, this, this guy's crippled from birth. What's the thing that you're asking God for that people are like? You crazy, man. You look foolish. Yeah, I'd rather go down swinging. Like, I mean, like, what's the biggest thing you're asking God for? Ask God uh, for big things. Believe God um, for big things. Here we go. I'm going to keep going. Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lift up their voices, saying in Lycanian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. I need to add a parenthesis here because there's some historical context here. There's a legend. Ovid uh, put it in a poem. Um, one of the Greek uh, historians put it in a poem. There's a legend of Zeus and Hermes coming down and being in the house of uh, uh, Philemon and Bacchus. And uh, in, in doing so, there was, they talked about hospitality and all this. kind. Of, I mean, there was all sorts of kind of legend around this. But the gods visited and did good for them. So what, what are these people seeing? They're seeing this miracle and they're saying, oh, we're repeating here. We're, we're seeing this again. Here's, here's, here's what I want to encourage us. Have the courage to receive your God-given identity. The crowd saw this. They said, uh, oh, look, Zeus and Hermes have come down to us. Verse um, 14, th- excuse me, 13 now. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So here's Paul and Barnabas. They um, see this guy healed. Uh, these people are like, oh, we know this story. Zeus and Hermes are with us. That's pretty awesome. We'll call you Zeus. You're Hermes. Pretty amazing stuff. Oh, here comes the priest. He's going to sacrifice an ox in your name, right? Courage to receive your God-given identity. Let me just hit pause here and say this. Um, it, It is important for us to reject, to reject culture's definition of who um, they were or who they could be. There will always be a cultural lie that tells you you can be or can like there will always be a definite the culture will always want to define you we can reject that that is true then it's certainly true now um the cultural narrative is powerful but it doesn't mean it's right in our world it starts at the academy expresses itself in the arts and then shows up in our actions that's how it kind of works down into our lives but listen just because it's all around us doesn't mean it's right we can reject it culture doesn't get to define your identity god does Receive. Here's the second part. Receive um, your God-given identity. And don't worry so much about rejecting as much as receiving here. Look at what happens in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and it's all and all that is in them. So reject culture's definition. It said, receive God's word over your life. Hey, Paul Barnabas, like, dude, we're just men. 
What you doing with all the oxen, celebration and craziness? Like, don't be like that. Don't be like that. We're rejecting cultural, culture's definition of us. We're rejecting the culture narrative, even though it's powerful. And we're receiving God's word over our lives. Why? Because um, God's word is true. It is right. God's word is just. God's word is best. God's word is wise. And in this particular case, we aren't glory robbers. And these particular folks here, they get good news. They get good news. So have the courage to receive your God-given identity, no matter what the culture says. And that leads to this next profile, verse 15, one more time. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. Here's, here's the fourth profile. Courage to tell the true story. Courage to tell the true story. What's the true story here? Not that it's Zeus and Hermes in the, in the form of Paul and Barnabas. The true story is... God has done this. And the story that they're telling is a good story. I mean, it's good news. That's what he says in verse 15. We're bringing you good news. And it's not only good news. It's a story about good. Hey, listen, in previous days, God let you kind of do what you want. But even then, he was still telling you. He sent you rains. He let you have harvests. He let you kind of have your life right here. He's giving you good things. Like, it's a story about good. So this is good news about a good God who's doing good to people. That's the story. It's not without its hard parts. Every good story has hard parts. But it's still good news. And it's still a story about good. And church family, we don't have to water it down. We don't have to overinflate it. We can just tell it as it is. This is exactly what they did. We're men just like you. We're here with good news. So you turn from this kind of crazy and accept reality. Live with, um, in light of who God says he is. And then, then let's, let's be the kind of people who don't just tell the good news and, and, and speak a good story. Let's be the kind of people who back it up with our lives, whose lives match this. The message of our life authenticates the message of our mouth. The, the question comes along, dude, like, what's the big deal? So what if these pagans sacrifice? Psh. I mean, like, ah. So what if they sacrifice? What's the big deal? Phrase it a little bit more modern. What if I get some glory out of this deal? I mean, you know who the worst is with this? Preachers. They're the worst. What if I get a little glory out of this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Feels pretty good. To back it up with our lives says, no, no, no. God's the only one who gets the glory here. God's the only one who deserves the glory here. I didn't heal that guy. Jesus healed that guy. I didn't do this. Jesus did that. I didn't say the right thing in the right moment. Jesus did that. He's the only one who gets the glory. So what if they sacrifice? What if there's a little glory? Here we go. Number one, God would know. God would know. 
Number two, if we go ahead and let this happen here, and then something does go wrong down the road, someone who came to faith might struggle later with their faith because of the disconnect between somebody's life and somebody's words. Anybody know anybody like that? Whose life did not match their words and people in the, in the, in the um, wreckage, in the carnage that, that happens as a result of that. They struggle with their faith. They have questions or worse, they think that having a life that doesn't match your words is actually okay. And thirdly, the gospel at that point right there gets intertwined with untrue stories. I mean, Ovid put the legend of Zeus and Hermes in play, right? It was part of their cultural narrative. And if, if we allow this to go on instead of pointing people to Jesus, like if Paul and Barnabas had said, eh, sure, I'm I'm up for rocks today. Go ahead. That'd be great. If they had let that go on, the gospel would have been intertwined with that other story. And listen, when that other story proves false, when the cultural narrative proves false, or when the cultural narrative changes, guess what? If the gospel is intertwined with it, it goes down also. People change their minds about it. People reject it. So we want to back it up with our life. Okay. Last profile. Here we go. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. They stoned Paul <clears throat> and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Have enough courage. Let's be the kind of people who have the courage to live as though we were dead. Let's be the kind of people who live as though we were dead. So you got the scene here. People show up who were mad at Paul before. They show up, and what happens? There's Paul. They picked up rocks, and they hurled it at him until they knocked him unconscious, so much so that people thought he was dead. I mean, this is for real, right? They dragged him out of the city. They left him outside of the city for wild animals, birds, anything else. Just take care of that. Deal with that trash. That's where they left him. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, so they came around, he rose up. Now, I'm sure he had a headache. I wish that boy was wishing for some Advil. He rose up, and what are the next couple of words here? And did what? And entered the city. What city? The city that he had just come, been dragged out of. Why had he been dragged out? Because they stoned him and left him for dead. That cat got up with a concussion or something and went back into the city. That, you, you get that, right? There's this, like, are we the kind of people who have courage to live that way? The, the disciples went about, uh, gathered about him. He rose up and entered the city on the next day. Then he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So he's like, oh, I got a plane to catch. I'll go ahead and jump on. Okay, went to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. Not just once did he go back. Two times, two different times he went back. And then to Iconium and to Antioch. Do you remember where the guys were from that stoned him? Iconium and Antioch. 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church of prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now listen, we're talking about here the courage to live as though dead. This is not spiritual recklessness. This is wholly abandoned. God, whatever you want from me, you get from me. And there's a profound difference. Spiritual recklessness maybe sounds something like this. I know what God wants from me and I'm going to go do that. Versus wholly abandoned, my life is not my own. Spiritual recklessness, I'll make sure what I do is important. If you're at midlife like me, that's part of it. I'll make sure that what I do is important. Versus, I will do what pleases God. And the reason why that distinction is so important is because there are times when maybe you're way smarter than me, but there are times when I don't have a good bead on what's important. I don't have a good perspective on that. Spiritual recklessness. I need to be part of that story. Holy abandon. I am not what is most important here. Folks, if we're dead, the rocks hurt, but they're not scary. May we be the kind of people who have our own funeral before somebody else has one for us. Live as though dead. A.W. Tozer said it this way. Christ, I'm not sure if you can see it. It's pretty small print. Christ calls men to carry a cross. We tell them to have fun in his name. He calls them to forsake the world. We assure them that if they but accept Jesus, the world is their oyster. He calls them to suffer. We call them to enjoy all the bourgeois comforts modern civilization affords. He calls them to self-abnegation and death. We call them to spread themselves like green bay trees or perchance even become stars in a pitiful fifth-rate zodiac. Who writes like that? I mean, that's amazing. Um, He calls them to holiness. We call them to a cheap and tawdry happiness that would have been rejected with scorn by the least of the Stoic philosophers. We, here's the part, we can afford to suffer now and we'll have a long eternity to enjoy ourselves and our enjoyment will be valid and pure for it will come in the right way and in the right time. It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Have the courage to live as though dead. Why in the world would we do that? (laughs) Like that doesn't sound all that awesome. Why would we suffer for Jesus? Because he has done so for us. Why would we place ourselves in a situation like that? Because he is the king and has already proven himself and done so for us. It's rodeo season, yeah, everybody? Many of you are working a rodeo even. Uh, th- this happened up in Belton, and I just, I just want you to see the video. This was at the rodeo in Belton between Austin and Waco. The bull that you How about them apples, huh? One of them kids was like, ooh, that's exactly right. You got the scene, right? Guy lasted a couple seconds, hit the ground, knocked him out. He is unable to help himself. 
And he is unresponsive. And the threat is real. And there were bullfighters, rodeo clowns all around, right? But the threat came charging at that one on the ground. And what happened? Dad jumps in and takes the blow. Dad jumps in to protect. Hey, all of you other guys, y'all are fine. I'm the one jumping in to take care of my kid. Listen to me. This is what we celebrate when we take communion. And this is why we are willing to suffer for his name. God has come and he has climbed on top of us, so to speak. He has taken the blow, if you will, that we deserved. He has taken the blow that was coming our way. We were helpless, unable to respond even, conked out on the ground. And God has shielded us in Jesus. This is what we come to remember. God has taken the blow for us. Our sin caused separation and there had to be punishment. But Jesus stepped in, wrapped himself around us in the cross and took our sin and our shame He bore it for us. The strike came against him so that it didn't come against us. And then, just like that dad, he rose victorious. He rose victorious. This is what we come to communion and remember together. So take a moment, close up your stuff, put your stuff in the places where it needs to go. Settle in for just a second here. For those of you who are uncertain about how communion works, there'll be a little wafer representative of the bread the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he passed it around to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. You need to eat and you need to remember. And then he took a cup and he passed it around. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. No longer do you have to relate to God on the basis of things that you can do. You're laid out on the floor, been bucked off by life, and you cannot respond. I'm stepping in to cover you. That's what he says. So we relate to God on the basis of what he has done for us. Anybody who's a follower of Jesus in here is welcome to participate. We'll give you a moment to pray, and I'll lead us in a prayer. And as we're in that moment, I'm going to ask the deacons who are going to serve, would you make your way to the front? Let's pray together. If you have something to say to the Lord, now's the time to do so. It may be gratitude. It may be confession. Whatever it is, you take a moment. And we do say thanks, Father. Thank you that Jesus has stepped in. Thank you that he carried our weight. He took the blow for us. And I pray over everyone here, everyone who is to experience this. This would be a fresh thing for us. It's an old, old story, but it would be so fresh. It's a practice we've done before, but it's a practice that reminds us of what's most important. So Holy Spirit, come. 
Help us to hear your words again. It's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Let us hear all that fresh as we celebrate and as we remember. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. If you